Good evening. Thankful for today. Uh, Philip is out sick, and we're thankful that, uh, that he was able to get uh, two guys to do a really good job to lead singing this morning and tonight. We're very thankful that others use the talent God has given them to lead us, and we're thankful to be back here tonight in order to uh, spend time uh, in God's Word and to learn more and more from it. As we begin, let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you are great and mighty and you are awesome and powerful. And tonight we come before you to tell you of your greatness, to spend time in your word, and Lord, to gain knowledge and wisdom and encouragement and restoration from it. Lord, help us to look tonight at a, at a passage and help us to gain from it what you would have us to so that it will make a difference in, in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you were to buy this house, one, I would probably say you need to go to an optim, uh, ophthalmologist uh, before you did. But if you were to buy it and you said, hey, I, I think it's something we're going to, uh, to, to try to improve and restore, who would you think of calling? There's something really interesting in my life. There was a channel that's been on TV for years and years that I didn't know existed until I got married two years ago, okay? It's called HGTV. You know about this? Then you're married too. You know it, okay? It, it is there. It is something that has given men more jobs than they ever wanted. That's what's really interesting. And there is a couple on there, and now I think that they have decided to go on about their life and not have their show going every week, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and, and their life is about, had been about what? Restoring homes. It's amazing if we were to go through all their before and afters, homes that you walk in and you're like, wow, this thing, probably the best restoration it could have is a match and a gallon of gasoline. And they get finished with this house, and you're like, wow, it's hard to believe that you didn't build this from the ground up and all the different things they are able to do. They are restorationists. They, they're, they're not about building a brand new house. They're about taking something that's already been built, something that at times has already been run into the ground. Something, some things have been mistreated, some things that have not been taken care of, some things that are, that are very dated, some things that are not even functional. Uh, there's been some that I have seen because now, as my wife says, I haven't seen this one. I always go, yes, you have. It's like telling me I haven't seen an Andy Griffith. Yes, I have. I've seen them all, okay? You know, it's one of those things, and and I, I've seen them at times take a house out of being condemned and saying, hey, can we work on this? Why? Because they're usually cheap that way. And they put all this time and effort, and it's incredible because what they are in the business of is restoring houses. How many of you feel a little worn out tonight? This is a Norman Rockwell painting. I believe it's called Tired Mom, okay? So that a tired mom is not a new thing. Norman Rockwell was painting about it much, much earlier. And it may seem that you feel run down and, and, and worn out, and it doesn't just have to be moms. It can be anyone and in need of restoration. Tonight, I want us to think about that as, as we look to God's Word, and we talked about for the past few weeks, when we think about the 23rd Psalm, remember the guy who wrote it was somebody who was ridiculed by his own family, someone who had an incredible stressful job as the, the king of a people who many times did not appreciate him. People tried to kill him, not only uh, the, his uh, predecessor, but one of his children wanted him dead. He had a loss of a friendship. He had a friend die. He, he, he had moral failures. 
He had a troubled marriage. He was someone who had more moral failures. He dealt with private sin. He had a loss of a child. He had rebellious children. His daughter was assaulted. He had been threatened, and he was hiding in caves on the run. And for him to sit down and to write this passage, to me, is incredibly overwhelming to know that he gained his strength from God. As we've done each week with the 23rd Psalm, let's read this again together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What incredible words. Written by someone who needed a shepherd. He didn't write this, I don't believe, in the peace of his life. He's somebody who is writing this, all the things he's gone through, his life, his source of strength, his source of comfort, his source of well-being, his source of restoration is God, and he wants to point us there. When we think about our lives, as the, as the proverb writer says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. We want to do things and, and see things in God's Word that bless us. So far in this series, we've talked about worry and, and how worry many times comes from not feeling we have enough of something. And, and really, the, the antidote is to realize that God's going to meet all of our needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have, and He gives what I need. Secondly, we talked about the, the hurry and the, the fast-paced life that we have been in. And we talked about really the, the cure for that is to obey, obey God's instruction on rest. Uh, last week, I had a lot of people say they hadn't heard a lesson on rest. I hope this week you rested. I hope that you did take some opportunities to do that. And we talked about God created us to need sleep. We need to know the importance of rest. And as he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So as we deal with worry and hurry, what's next? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. And now we feel that what? Many times the world is closing in on us. That's what hurry and worry combined. And also, I don't know about you, but I feel like the world gets a lot more crowded every day. Do you feel that way? It's something we look at, and it's pretty amazing based on where we live that we see crowds grow more and more and more and more and more people. I love seeing them on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's really awesome. But you think about during the week uh, of, of how busy it is and, and how the world has changed really since this was written, the 23rd Psalm was written. Now, it says 83% of all people live in a large city. You see this when you see the, the voting every time we have an election, you realize you have these areas, and you're like, wow, when you see how many people live in Los Angeles and how many people live in New York, and, and at times there's more people that live in those cities that live in an entire state. People go to cities, why? Because there are jobs in cities. There's opportunities there. In the 1800s, L London was the only city with over a million people in it. Only one city in the world with a million people. 
Now we have uh, mega cities, and, and all these cities have at least uh, 10 to 15 million people in them. I know you can't see all of them, but if you, you go all the way through, what you'll see is that Tokyo there has uh, about 37 million people. And we think about New York being big. New York's all the way on this end, and Los Angeles on this end. So we have places where there are great crowds. This is a little closer to home, the, 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 the greater Nashville area, not Nashville itself, but all the areas around, including Wilson County, is a, is a little over 2 million now. And, and if you look in our community here, uh, this is the population of, uh, of Wilson County from 1920 to now. Actually, now it would be the 136,000 that we talked about a few weeks ago. But in 1920, uh, 26,000 people lived here. I don't know what happened between 1920 and 1930, but 3,000 people left. <laughs> I don't know what happened during that time. I don't know if the plague swept through. I don't know what happened. I know it changed, but since then, this community has grown every year and has grown what? Once you get to 60s and 70s, 33%, 50%, 20%, and you see it's still growing. We're projected to grow another 9 or 10% over this next year. That means what? There are more and more people. If you just take uh, this population of Mount Juliet, in 1940, 300 people lived here. Who lived here in 1940? I probably should say that louder so you could hear it. Who lived here in 1940? Okay. Sorry. You realize there's more people in this room that lived here in 1940. In 1960, you have 800. There was no change between 60 and 70. And then you start seeing the growth. And the growth now from 2011 to now, now there's around 36, 37,000. And so as places that used to be farmland and a lot of green starts filling up, it is easy to feel like that, that there's more hustle and bustle, there's more things going on. And, and, and we see that over and over again. This is the, you know, I, I'm not good at graphs. I understand this one. The, the population is, is growing, and many times so does our stress level. Because of the amount of people and you think about, I know many people in here are commuters. They drive to work and sometimes long distances. 75 uh, of the largest cities in America last year, all right, 75 largest cities in America, America's wasted over 4 billion hours waiting in traffic jams. Just imagine the amount of productivity lost in that. They wasted over 6 billion gallons of gas while you're stuck in traffic. Pretty amazing what, what happens, and, and I don't know about you, but my blood pressure just goes way down when I'm sitting in traffic. What about yours? I'm not being truthful there. It can be very frustrating. How do we recharge? Because there's going to be things in our life that take energy away from us. It is hurry, it is worry, many times crowding and just more. How do we recharge? And, and we look at this, the Lord is my shepherd. Again, he's going to supply our needs. He supplies our needs. He, he tells us, he makes us lie down to rest, but he leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Still waters are a big deal for sheep. They are, and, and you'll read, and, and, and I have, hope I haven't given the impression. It, it's funny, uh, I don't know if anybody talks worse about sheep than preachers. 
we talk about how dumb they are. Let's be very careful because sheep get to go to heaven. We can't be that dumb. Okay? We need to be led. That's what sheep need. They need a lot of care. They are dependent on someone else for their safekeeping, and that dependency is on God. I think that's the metaphor that's there. But I think about that. They need still water. There's a couple things. One, how many of y'all, when you go swimming, wear a wool sweater? No, why? Because it's very heavy. If you were to get in there, you would drown. That could very much pull you down. And so that, and also they're skittish. There's something about that because if you're around rushing water, what can you not do? You can't hear. If they are very, very uh, susceptible to predators, in which they are, being around rushing water, they won't be able to hear. So when they have still waters and it is quiet and they have these green pastures, what can they do? They can rest and they can eat and they can drink in peace. One thing that we don't need to forget is we, we talk about he restores my soul. Don't forget that first word. It's he. God is the one who restores our soul. So many times we look at things we can do to, to calm ourselves, things we can do to, to feel better, things we can do to, to be more at peace. We need to realize that true peace only comes from God. It only comes from God, and when we are plugged into him, anything else is a very poor substitute and may work for a little while, but it's sort of like a placebo. There's, there's something real, and real peace comes from God himself. How does he do this? Number one, I, I think when I think about his, his, the ideal place he created was Eden. When he decided to create a place on earth for, for his people to live, his image to live, he created Eden, somewhere where they would be and they could look around and see his creation. There's something about that. When God restores, I think one of the first th things he does to restore, we see in Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. God created the world in that when we look around, we can see him. We can see him in his creation. I think that's one of the reasons crowding is hard. Because we ought to be able to see him in the image of God and other people, but many times to look and see the things he created and to think about, wow, if God can create that, what can God do for me? See, when we think about God existing, I was told there were four main arguments to prove the existence of God. And they are, the uh, way I remember them was Octum the Indian. That's not real, but that's the way we were taught in Christian evidences. O is the ontological, and T, C is the cosmological, T is the teleological, and M is the moral. And, and, and those are my $50 words for tonight. And I was taught, these are the four ways you can show that somebody, uh, that God exists. If you can think there's a God, then there must be a God. If there's a design, must have a designer. If we have a moral compass, we can go through the, those. Can I tell you, there's a lot more arguments for the existence of God than four. One is simply his creation. Think about God's handiwork. Just to be able to look outside at things he created. I think about the beautiful landscapes that we couldn't recreate if we had to. That God himself, throughout the world, the different varieties of 
places he created and the beauty that is there. And to think about God speaking this into existence and we're able to see, wow, look at his power, look at his, his, his pleasure in doing this and what it means to us. It's amazing to me that we look around throughout the world and realize that God made the world beautiful, but he didn't have to. See, one of the arguments for the existence of God is that there's beauty in the world. God could have made this world to look like Mars. Let that sit in. We could just look around everywhere. Can that be it? As one person said, it could be if you're a Star Wars person like Tatooine, which is not a pretty place. He could make the whole world to look like that, but God in his power made a world that is beautiful. Why? Because it pleased him. And it makes a difference to us. Then sings my soul. So many times we look and we see something beautiful that God has created. And to me, I don't know about you, it reaffirms for me that God is, exists and that God is amazing. So many times we feel like we have to go across the world to see something beautiful. Isn't it funny, no matter where you're from, other people come there and tell you how beautiful it is. We, we may go out west, but there's people that will pass go on our way out west, people coming here to tell us how beautiful our area is. These are just Middle Tennessee pictures. Yeah, that's a great one, okay? The guy who took the picture wouldn't tell me where that is. Um, I would like to know. This is just Middle Tennessee. You think of God's creation and, and how... Much that is, and how much that can restore our soul to see his beauty and his power, to see that he is real. Besides still waters and, and what, and, and lush green fields, when, when I, I feel close to God when I'm in nature. You hear people say that all the time. I do. Now, that is not an excuse to skip church. Some people use that. I feel closer to God when I'm in a duck blind, where I'm fishing or wherever else. And, and I've heard people say that, that I see God's power here, and I'm like, oh, God wants you at church to worship. But I do believe there's something about getting away, and, and uh, it, it's neat. Do you realize that some of your children, unless you drive out a couple of miles, don't realize how many stars there are? Because if there's a lot of lights around, it's hard to see. Now, I know the lights are coming out where we live, but one of the things I enjoy is I can look up and I can see stars. See, I think about that. It's something that we can see God and we can see his power in that. To know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and my soul can be restored as I am going through his creation and spending time there. Look what Job says in Job chapter 12. He, he says, ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak of the earth, and it will teach you, or let the, the fish of the sea inform you. Which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. See, if the animals know, we should know, and we should know by looking at them how powerful our God is and what he can do. As we read earlier, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
the skies proclaim his, the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, saying, even though rocks don't talk, they do. When we look at the trees, when we look at mountains, what that they are saying that there is a God and He is alive, and look at His power. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He says, ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things He has made so that people are without excuse. Paul's saying there should be no atheists because all they have to do is look around at nature at what God has created. God has spoken to us through His creation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. One, I want to encourage you to see God and His creation every day. Whether it's a sunrise or a sunset, I, I don't know about the rest of the world. I know that Middle T Tennessee has some of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen. You see the, the, the sky just light up in all the different colors. It's just amazing. And to know that there is a God and to see that and to tell your children, when you talk about how beautiful something is, that God is responsible for that. When I lived in Kentucky, there was a, a hospital in Paducah, and it was Lourdes Hospital a Catholic-based hospital, and they had a, a little fountain in a well there that people uh, dropped money in and uh, sort of prayed by that. That was sort of what they did. And, and there was this mom who had two little boys with her, and they were begging for money to throw in the fountain. Well, uh, she was dragging them through the parking lot and trying to get out to the car, and they were just going on and on how, how they wanted money to be able to throw in that fountain so that somebody could get better. And she said, you don't need money to throw in a fountain. You have prayer. What was she doing? She was trying to teach them about God. What happens when you and your family, when you see a sunset, when you see the sun, when you see the rain, whatever it is, you teach your children, hey, God is alive and well, and God created this. That's one way I believe our soul can be restored. Secondly, our soul will be restored and, and our, our, our spirit will be renewed. That's what he's talking about here when we spend time in God's Word. See, the second part of Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making, the, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and the righteous altogether. The word of the Lord does what? It rejoices the heart. It restores us. We, we see this. And I believe us spending time in God's word is a, is a big deal for our soul, if you will, to be restored, for us to be uplifted each day, to be able to make it through all the different things people in this room are going through. It is something that will help us as we get up each day and we recognize who God is and we spend time in His Word. He says there's more to be desired than they are gold. What His Word is precepts. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warm, and keeping them there is great reward. Spending time in God's Word. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning besides open your eyes? 
Do you check your email? Do you open Facebook? Do you turn on the news? I know that the, the newspaper business has gone down a lot, but I know there are people in this room who get a newspaper every day and they, they read through that. What's the first thing that you do? Whatever it is, let me encourage you that before you listen to anything else or read anything else, read God's Word. That's the one thing that you can count on that is true. It is something that, that will bless you. We've got the reading this year on the kingdom that, that there's been a uh, bookmark passed out that you can read each week on that. You can go through, and uh, as a, a good friend told me, he said what he has done for over 30 years is every day he reads five psalms and one proverb. He does uh, Proverbs uh, 1 on the first day of the month, Proverbs 2, since there's 31, he goes through and does one of those every day. And he starts every day or ends every day with those. And he goes, why? He said, because he's, I love the way he talks about it. He said, the Proverbs are your dad. There's all this wisdom in Proverbs. He said, the, the Psalms are your mom. There's, there's, there's wisdom, but there's also a heart all through the Psalms. It's talking about starting each day like that and what a difference it makes. And, and, and that way we are putting an armor on ourselves to help make it through the day because we're instilling in ourselves that God exists, that he is real. And we are going to start the day that way. I think it's a big deal. Jesus did this. Mark 1 verse 35 says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Not only should we start our day with reading God's word, but also with prayer. I want to say something there. Sometimes we look at this early in the morning uh, part, and somebody will do a 35-minute lesson on why you need to get up early. It doesn't matter what time you get up. Just start the day with God. Because some of us feel like if we're not up and it's still dark outside reading, or we have, we've lost that opportunity. No, whenever you get up, it's a good time to start that day with God what, listening to him talk to you than being able to speak to him through prayer. That is what truly can help restore our soul and give us what we need to make it through each day. And something else that's really neat, I think that it helps in our building our strength up and build, giving us the strength we need to make it through each day, uh, filling our life with things that are beautiful. There's an interesting thing. We, we look in the world and we have a world that's filled with music and art. Um, that's another thing that changed in my life. Music's always been a part of my life, but the, the amount of art I have in my house right now is compared to three years ago is very different. I had four UT Vols prints in my home. I, ha I had the national championship uh, one where Peerless Price is catching the pass over the shoulder. I have one that's autographed by, by Peyton Manning and, and uh, Coach Fulmer. Uh, that was the extent of art in my home. Now, there is a plethora, that means a whole bunch of art in my home. Because my wife, not only by her presence, but she likes making things more beautiful. It's something to her that she feels more re revived when she sees that. And, and why not? Because God chose to make things beautiful. Uh, as one person wrote, I find it interesting, said, uh, he said, art and music are two of the greatest arguments against evolution. So why? Because they are totally unnecessary for human survival. If the whole survival of the fittest thing works, what do we have with music and art in the world? 
Do you know the majority of music and art in this world were created to praise God? There's been more books written, there's been more art, there's been more songs written to do it, praise God, to, to, to talk about God. That is why they were here. I love uh, what uh, Johann Sebastian Bach said. He said, uh, music's only purpose should be to the glory of God and the recreation of the human spirit. So much of what is, what is out there is, is, when you think about the music, you think about these things, they are things that help build us up. We know the songs we sing and what they mean to us in here. What if we add that to our daily life and we surround ourselves with things that, that point us in the right direction? I think that's what we're supposed to do. Philippians chapter 4, the, the book we, can, we talk about the theme is joy. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and good report, if there be any virtue, if anything worthy of praise, think on these things, meditate on these things. That starts with thinking about as God, what God has created, spending time in his word, praying to him, and, and allowing those things to build you up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. In green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The Lord can give us strength to get through today, and he'll give us that strength to get through tomorrow. Tonight, can we help you with this? Tonight, do you want to become a child of God? We would love for you to choose that and to be baptized for mission of your sins. It would be incredible tonight for you to choose that. Or tonight, do you need your soul restored? Do you want this church family to pray for you? This morning, Tracy Morrow came forward during the second service and asked us to pray for her, and it was awesome to see people lined up to hug her neck because they stayed here a long time telling her they were praying for her and showing her that, and, and I love that. That's what this church family will do and wants to do. Tonight, if we can help you in that walk, would you come now while we stand and while we sing?